You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, this is Todd Urey, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today, we're digging back into PBM reform, what that means for our healthcare system, what that means for pharmacists, the future of pharmacy, and better patient care stable patient care, especially for patients in those rural areas who sometimes the only health care provider they have is their community pharmacy. There's a lot to unpack here, and I brought on a champion in the space of pharmacy, economy, economics, the whole uh, PBM reform, the data from three advi- uh, from three access advisors, Antonio Chacha, who's the chief strategy officer. Welcome to the PBM Reform Podcast Series, Antonio. It's great. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Todd. So you have become a a bounce sounding board for this topic because of the data that you've been dug into, and you and I have talked offline about some of the new reports that have come out, including the scathing six hundred page or more report that's come from the state of Florida. And just as kind of an unpacking first, I want you to tell our listeners, just in case they don't know you, which if you are in pharmacy, if you're in the industry, you've got to know who Antonio is because he's really this barometer of truth with regards to concentrating on the data and what that means for the future of pharmacy. But give us a little overview of yourself, Antonio. Yeah, absolutely. Um I am the uh, son of a hospital pharmacist who worked part-time as a, at an independent when I was a kid. I am the brother of a Walmart pharmacist, and I worked as a pharmacy technician for a small grocery chain uh, up in the Cleveland area uh, when I was in high school and college. And I originally went to Ohio State to become a pharmacist like my dad. Um, I Then... Uh, about two years into the program, I uh, started to get interested in other things. Coincidentally, right around the time I entered organic chemistry. So uh, I think some people call that a weed out class, and I was part of the weeds. Um, I was much more interested in politics at that point. Fast forward, I uh, graduated with uh, d- dual degrees in political science and uh, journalism communications. And I entered the association world where eventually I made my way over to the Ohio Pharmacists Association. Uh, I started doing publications for them and I uh, moved into government affairs. And for those of you that don't know the association world, the association is the complaints department for whatever constituency they represent. 
And I had always been getting complaints about, you know, pharmacy reimbursement, not just it being too low, but also being wildly unpredictable. And that fascinated me. Um, you know, members, pharmacists would ask me to go to the legislature and, you know, raise issues about the wild unpredictability and decline in reimbursement over time. And really all, all I would do is walk in with anecdotes and say, hey, you know, dear representative so-and-so, you know, this six-figure salary earning pharmacist is complaining about money. Um, what, what say you? And granted, there were some lawmakers that, that would take up the cause but at a fundamental level, anecdotes, you know, aren't sufficient to build policy on. And so um, as I'm slowly but surely learning what's going on with pharmacy from a government affairs perspective, um, we see this massive crash in pharmacy reimbursements back in uh, 2016, 2017 within our Medicaid program. And uh, I ended up meeting a guy named Eric Packman, who was running a chain of pharmacies and was really sophisticated with data analytics. And before I knew it, you know, rather than marching around with anecdotes, we started getting really, really obsessive about studying data and knew that there were a couple publicly available pricing benchmarks on CMS, uh, CMS's website. And before you know it, rather than running around with a bunch of, you know, here's five claims I got underpaid on, we were able to do full-scale analysis to show uh the massive disconnect between the prices of drugs and what state Medicaid programs were being charged. Um, fast forward the tape, a massive, you know, controversy hits the state of Ohio. You have this um, massive audit that came about because of a lot of the charts that we started building based on that CMS data. The audit reveals $244 million in spread pricing in the state of Ohio Medicaid managed care program. The state blows up the program. And uh, all of a sudden, this tidal wave of reform starts to hit. And um, we realize that uh, data is very, very important if we're ever going to crack the drug pricing, not, not just from a pharmacy perspective, but everybody's complaining about drug spending, but nobody knows how the health prices are set. And so we try to do whatever we can to help add clarity to a purposefully opaque system that is controlled by large companies, not just PBMs, but the entire supply chain, who all have a vested interest in protecting their spots on the Fortune 50 list. So we feel that data and analytics can help bridge the gap and help inevitably sterilize uh, a very broken system. Antonio, we're not we're not anti-capitalists. You and I are both very capitalistic driven. We believe in entrepreneurship. We believe in being able to build something that was unique, innovative, that brings value to the marketplace, brings value to patients, consumers, and then become wealthy at delivering such things. So if there's pharmacy entrepreneurs out there, pharmacy owners out there, um, people that are getting into uh, even nanotechnology in the future of the ingestible uh, pill like eTechRx is doing. I mean, this stuff is exciting. And you as an entrepreneur that brings something unique to the table should be able to be um, successful at it. And, and, and there should be reward, financial reward for you. However, and this is the biggest however, the Medicaid systems are not designed to build billionaire status for 
um, organizations, the three top PBMs who have learned to trick the system, just like back in the day when you had a pinball machine and you knew exactly how to bump it in order to tilt it in order to get something out of the game that you shouldn't be getting out of the game because you've tricked it and you've you've done it in in your benefit only. The only benefit is the big, huge organizations taking millions and millions from the Medicaid systems. That bothers me. That, that truly bothers me. And it's amazing to see, Antonio, that you helped to start the cracks in this business model through Ohio, over to Arkansas, down into Florida, happening here in Pennsylvania, where there's going to be Every one of the 50 states are going to look back into their Medicaid systems to see, well, wait a second. If they stole 72, 000, $72 million from this state and $400 million from this state and another $120 million from this state, what are they taking from our, our Medicaid system, which is supposed to serve the underserved? And the report that came from the uh, Florida Pharmacists Association and the American Pharmacy Cooperative which alleges that the PBMs in their state were favoring an affiliate pharmacy, a very specific pharmacy, and driving the prescriptions, but then reimbursing them on a different rate. That's white-collar crime. I mean, I, I, I can't sugarcoat it any more than what it is. It is that. And I, I'd like to see the Medicaid systems not only audit and pull back money from these PBMs, I would like to see charges brought against these organizations. Yeah, so... I mean, ultimately, you you get what level of accountability you pour in. And it's not a shot to the state of Florida Medicaid program. In fact, they've, they've been awesome uh, to work with. I mean, the only reason that we at our consultancy were able to do this project is because we did a Freedom of Information Act request. And they handed over all the claims data, de-identified, dating back to 2012. We were able to analyze that. Uh, just like the state of Florida, the same thing goes for the state of New York, where we did our, our first consulting project. Same thing goes for Illinois. Same thing goes for Michigan. Uh, and the same thing goes for Ohio uh, before all of that, before we even thought about starting a firm. This is a very complicated industry, purposely so. And everybody should exercise a fair level of humility when seeking to tame the beast of prescription drug pricing and spending. And what we have learned is that there are no experts, uh, specifically in under-resourced state Medicaid programs from an oversight standpoint. This industry and the whole prescription drug supply chain has evolved way faster than any bureaucratic institution can. And so what we like to think that we do is we essentially help help them catch up to what is a freight train of a, of a problem. And be clear, there are some PBMs that do not exploit the system. Uh, there are some managed care plans that genuinely want to do well. Uh, there are, but there, it's not just on that side either. Our data in the, our, in the Florida report also shows that there are some pharmacies that try to, you know, essentially sneak whatever excess margins they can out of the system. It would, even though our data doesn't show it, I, I would not be surprised if wholesalers and drug companies were in the same boat. Um, so it's not necessarily shame on you know this specific layer of the supply chain, although the PBMs are certainly a major focus because they set these prices. Ultimately, uh, 
if we want a system that is uh, as you know typically or traditionally competitive as possible, as transparent as possible, and as hopefully equitable as possible from a competition standpoint, and top priority serves the interests of the patients and the taxpayers first and foremost, you just need a better understanding of how the system works. And so our work is meant to really highlight how the system works, warts and all. And Florida, I would imagine, is no different than many other states. It just so happens that we had a supreme amount of data uh, in Florida relative to what we've been able to get in other states. So the Freedom of Information Act, that's at a federal level. I would think that any of the organizations that work with the Medicaid systems to start these audits, including you know your organization, Three Access Advisors, which you guys can learn more about, Three Access Advisors, threeaccessadvisors.com. Um, there, therein lies the expertise that's needed to kind of dig into this data, understand this data, and then report back the facts based on the data, nothing that's being made up. And I know that there's passion in independent pharmacy owners who have been clobbered in the markets that they that they're trying to serve the communities that they're trying to serve based on some of these practices for years and asking them not to be passionate about it is hard because it's their livelihoods it's their community it's patients that they're serving however if we all settle down and just look at the black and white the data is there antonio and it's it's going to come out in a multitude of audits in in these medicaid systems absolutely um it's not just a question of overcharging. Um, it's a it's a question of um, it's really highlights the complicated nature of vertical integration. Uh, in the old days, managed care plans, their primary form of profit, really their only means of profit, was through the capitation payments that were sent that was paid by the state to cover the entire all you can eat buffet of Medicaid services. And now that managed care plans own their own PBMs, own their own specialty pharmacies, and have found ways to essentially sneak, uh, and not just sneak, but leak money out from underneath those capitation payments within other layers of the supply chain with which they own, they're not necessarily an unconflicted entity when it comes to picking winners and losers in the marketplaces with which their vertically integrated entities participate in. And the data, we have no idea what their what the motive exactly is or whether they're purposely doing it. But the data that we found in Florida very clearly shows that it's good to be affiliated with the managed care plan. It's good to be affiliated with the PBM if you are a pharmacy. Um, the entities that are weathering the economic storm are those that have the closest relationships with PBMs and MCOs. And the data clearly shows that there are many instances where those affiliated entities are being paid more than their traditional retail competitors. And that's something that state Medicaid programs have to deal with and state state officials need to weigh whether or not that's, that's something that they're okay with. But I think it's also a greater question for the FTC, who I would argue has taken um, a, a very slow look at the impact of vertical integration as it has accelerated exponentially over the last few years. 
Antonio, don't you think that there's a difference between the auditing from a Medicaid system supplied by the taxpayer versus the private insurance? Although private insurance should, in my opinion, should allow a consumer to choose the pharmacy that they want. And we know how uh, employers and employees are forced to go mail order being told that it saves money in doing so. And then we've seen reports come back where there's so much waste that is built into the mail order lick and stick, you know, churn month after month after month, sending the same medications without really auditing the patient's health and progression using that drug therapy, um, that there's waste there, which is wasting money. But I, I feel like there's a difference between the private insurance versus these Medicaid systems based on the taxpayer. Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, a taxpayer-funded program is you know, essentially sanctioned by the government. And to have a system that allows uh, public dollars to be, you know, uh, pushed into a system that clearly picks winners and losers, I obviously, I think most people have a philosophical aversion to. Um, in the commercial sector, it's certainly the choice, um, and I'm saying choice in quotes, of a commercial payer as to how they want to build their pharmacy network, if there is, is even a pharmacy network at all, uh, beyond mail order. Um I think that the greater question for payers, both government and private, is what do you want from pharmacy? Uh, do you just want drugs? If all you want is drugs, then just drone deliver them and oh, happy day. Um, if you just want drugs and perhaps, or maybe you want drugs and service, well, that's good. Well, then, then maybe you should pay for the drugs and service. Or maybe you want drugs, service, and access meaning that you want some op some op actual local opportunity for patients to get their medications with choice. Or maybe you want drugs, service, access, and outcomes. And to me, my biggest problem with the current supply chain is that we don't really have many expectations beyond the first part, which is the drug. Did the patient get the drug and did we pay the cheapest amount possible for that drug? without necessarily an expectation of a value component or an outcome component at the, after, at the end of it. If I bring any type of uh, you know, bias in my brain into any of our work, it's not, you know, we don't like PBM or we don't like pharmacy or we don't like insurer. If anything, I just don't like a system that doesn't actually quantify a value proposition beyond did you fill the prescription. And so I think that if people actually have a better understanding of what they're investing in pharmacy, um, perhaps they'll also take a look at what opportunities there is to extract even greater value than just did you fill it. And I don't know exactly when you're going to air this, but I think it's probably going to be close enough that most people will still have the New York Times article fresh in their mind. Um, <laughs> yes. That there are massive issues that are occurring in pharmacy right now. Part of that is due to underfunding, but Mostly, it's because of broken incentive systems. So if you don't know what you're paying, how will you ever be able to identify a value if you don't even know what you bought and what you spent for it? Um, the first part is figure out what something costs, what a fair rate is. And then once you create that and once you can quantify that, now you can start building a value assessment from pharmacy to pharmacy, service to service. And to me, that is the, that's the promised land. That's how you actually start fixing everything. 
but you have to cleanse the system of the arbitrage and the smoke and mirrors first. You know, that the article that came out from the New York Times on January 31st, uh, 2020, and it's titled, How Chaos at Chain Pharmacies is Putting Patients at Risk. What I've heard from the insiders, that is, our pharmacists and chain pharmacists, and some of the social media follow-up posts, as well as emails that are being shared, is there are a lot of scared pharmacists out there who are afraid to come forward and even share some of the um, the the work conditions that they have in order to produce, in order to push out a specific number of prescriptions and flu shots and anything else that's happening during the day, during the week, during the month, rather than focusing on what a patient needs from a pharmacist as a delivery of accessible health care, 10 times more than, than they're seeing the physician, they're seeing their pharmacist. And it, it nauseates me to think of this, that the big organizations are going to penalize their pharmacists, who, by the way, took an oath. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to this, but pharmacists took an oath in order to become a pharmacist when they got their PharmD and when they got their state license to protect the public. So, you know, shame on the large organizations that are looking at this as just a corporate entity tanking through as if we were making some kind of widget when we're talking about healthcare. That this is why this system needs to be broken. It needs to be destroyed and we need to rebuild an entire system of healthcare that doesn't aka you know reward a pharmacist but pays the pharmacist for caring for the patient based on what everybody calls value-based care instead of governing the bonuses or the compensation of a pharmacist based on the prescription which is ludicrous and i i think we're at a time we're at an age uh 10 years from now antonio we're all going to look back and we're going to say you know that that 2018, 2019, 2020 period was really the beginning of the new age of, of what is pharmacy today. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to pick on, I'm, I'll pick on CVS Caremark here for a second. So if you look at our, our, our and, and look, they were unfairly singled out, I think, in that New York Times article, um, not because they don't deserve it, but because it made it seem like perhaps the problem was just there. And anybody in pharmacy knows that it's not even just a chain pharmacy problem either. This is an everybody pharmacy problem. If the only expect expectation of the pharmacist is, did you fill it? Then the way to maximize profitability is to fill a lot more of it, fill it faster, and fill it with less resources. And everybody has that same incentive system. And to bring it back to the Florida report and this question of value, um, under the Centene plan in Florida, we found that Centene, via their PBM CVS Caremark, was reporting costs on many drugs exponentially higher when they're filled at CVS pharmacies versus their competitors. So to give you an example, we had generic Abilify, one of the most popular drugs in state Medicaid programs, where the reported cost through CVS Caremark at Centene um, at CVS pharmacies 
was over $11 per pill. And over the same time period, the data showed that Publix and independent pharmacies were getting reported costs or paid 50 cents a pill or less. And when you aggregate, just so we're not cherry picking here, when you aggregate all that data out and you look at the Centene plan as a whole, again, where CVS Caremark is the PBM, out of all the margin on generic drugs in 2018, it's paid out to all the pharmacies for the plan, 94% of all the margin was reported at CVS pharmacies. Out of the entire pharmacy marketplace in the state of Florida under the Centene plan. Now, I know enough about pharmacy that, that there's no pharmacy that's worth that much from a value proposition relative to their competitors. And so how could we ever talk about pharmacy value when we allow this type of inequity in the marketplace that is not based on value, but is primarily based on the subjective whims of where PBMs want to push the money? Wow. You know, I, another thing that really blew me away about that article, Antonio, is what that the um, the picture that was snapped based on. Uh, the patient being or the situation being a media threat. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we now we now have uh, you know how many how many prescriptions, how many how much data, how much how many situations based on the patient case could this have turned out to be a so-called you know media threat? Which I I just I don't understand where how we got here. You know I I mean I do it, it's it's you know it's pressure to. To be profitable, it's pressure to deliver back to the stockholders. It's pressure to look at your uh, where is um, the the where are we trading today? You know what's what's our value of our of our stock today? And and when you're talking about healthcare and you're talking about patients' lives and you're talking about people not being able to buy um, food for their children versus the medication that they need and they have to pick one or they're splitting pills, or a pharmacist is now going out of business after 30 years of service to his or her community because they can't keep the lights on because of um, what is known today as a DIR fee clawback. It's, it's just gotten, it's gotten crazy. So the, the pounding in the, in, the, in the destruction of the current status quo model has got to continue and you know, organizations like PCMA have to come to the table and either be part of the solution or literally get out of the way and and cease to exist. Because if they're not going to help to rebuild this, then they're an enemy to the public. They're an enemy to the public's health and they're an enemy to pharmacy. So I, I think that this is time for everyone to lower their blood pressure and literally and not not be upset and you know lessen on the hyperboil but come to the table and be ready to work together um to get through this and i know that sounds euphoric in some ways but that's literally what i'm calling out these organizations to do um you you have to be part of the solution otherwise you are the problem and you need to go away and it's either help and and let's get on to a new age and 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 do the right thing or or just go away. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if any if, if anything from what we've learned since we started is is that you just have to get smarter. And data has helped really illuminate, um, you know, certain parts of the supply chain. And and look, whether it's the PBM model, insurer model, pharmacy model, whatever, the prescription drug supply chain and where the money goes within it, I always say it's a massive puzzle. And there are many entities and in, in, in parts of the supply chain that purposely take pieces of the puzzle and hide them. And so here we are sitting with this big box of puzzle pieces. And we know that in this box that there are a ton of missing pieces because they're all under proprietary lock and key. And there's tons of sleight of hand that's purposely trying to hide where those pieces are. I feel that our role is to take as many puzzle pieces out of the box and put them on the board. And then as we put them on the board, and we run out of all the pieces, we've got all these gaps that continue to exist on this puzzle piece board. But if we put enough pieces of the puzzle down, inevitably, you can figure out, you may not have those missing pieces, but you've got a pretty good idea of what they look like. And we think that our role, and and hopefully with our public education, uh, through any of our work that we publish on 3Axis Advisors or any of the work that we do, at our at the at the nonprofit that we run 46 Brooklyn Research what we try to do is make sure that we're putting as much clarity in many as many of those puzzle pieces on the board so that others can perhaps start answering those questions or at a bare minimum if we never can answer those questions we at least have a good idea of what those pieces would look like if we did have them Absolutely. I think that there is a surge of information coming uh, beyond what we just found out in the Florida report, um, beyond what you've accomplished in the state of Ohio, um, Pennsylvania, Arkansas, uh, other states coming to the table with their own data. I think there's much to piece together, as you said, in, in the puzzle pieces that need to be put together in order for us to really deliver um a patient care program and plan that can be sustainable, as well as keeping uh, good pharmacists employed, good pharmacy owners um, in in business, in serving their community, and um, and even the chains uh, that that they all straighten out, that they're all able to continue doing business. Um, however, it's it's got to be under a new um, plan, which is transparent and. There's PBMs out there who are who have been in business now for 20 plus years that are uh, fiduciary driven and and can show transparency from the beginning. And there's there's no reason and they make profit too. There's there's profit's not a dirty word. It's just it's just when the 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 model is put into place to favor one organization, both in dispensing and the insurance side of it. That's where things get. Uh, you know, murky and and needs to be needs to be a new needs to be a new system. Yeah, there is no question about it. The system, uh, you know, it, it's 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 ripe for disruption. It's long overdue. You know, there's a there's a, you know us us men are advised that at the age of forty or fifty or when we start getting old in age, we're supposed to go out and get a colonoscopy to make sure that we're all okay. 
Um, this industry is long in the tooth and it is long overdue for its colonoscopy. And I like to think that we're helping to provide it and we will find anything that's wrong that we can find. And once it's diagnosed, then we will sterilize it. Um, if we do not fix this system, it will go right off the cliff, the cliff for which it's headed. And it's not yes. about saving pharmacy. It's not about, uh, you know, even achieving lower drug costs because sometimes spending money on drugs is a good thing because it provides a better outcome. But it is about moving a system that has fundamentally broken and backwards incentives and moving it into a place where we can actually start quantifying a value proposition of the drugs that we're buying. Um, once that happens, you have a truly competitive uh, marketplace that works to the, to the benefit of the patient and the payer. Um, without that sterilization, we'll continue to have a total mess. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm excited that you'll be a resource uh, to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Um, if you're riding in the car, you're jogging, you're working out, uh, don't worry. The The information to, uh, to understand the backdrop of who Antonio is and his organization, 3accessadvisors.com, will be in the show notes. Antonio, we are, we're hoping to hear more from you um, as part of the intelligence that we bring to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You, the, the episode today was part of the PBM Reform uh, podcast series. It's one of our most popular series ever uh, based on the, the, the information that we're pulling through. And you're a, um, I say you're a, this barometer of data, uh, of, of truth, transparency there. And I'm excited that you're part of this. Uh, happy to happy to do it, and super thankful for all that you've built uh, within this pharmacy podcast network. Um, everybody needs more information, and uh, podcasts are a huge way uh, with which people consume information. So you have provided a platform that really helps, I think, get uh, a lot of issues out there that need to be out there. The PBM reform is just one of them. Um, so thank you for what you do, Todd. You're very welcome. Thank you. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast's uh, special series, PBM Reform Podcast Series, with Mr. Antonio Chacha, who's part of the three Access Advisors, and you can find them at three, the number three, Access Advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot com. And we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.